Welcome to C3 San Diego. Need something fresh, real, and powerful in your life? Connect with us on social media, get live stream service notifications, podcasts, and up-to-date information on upcoming events. We are so glad you're joining us for a powerful, life-transforming message from one of our C3 San Diego pastors. We would love to hear about how God is impacting your life through this ministry. Please share your experience with us at info at c3sandiego.com. If you'd like to be a part of what C3 Church is doing in the city of San Diego and beyond, you can contribute financially by going to c3give.com and choosing the giving option that works best for you. We hope you enjoy this message. It is, uh, are we okay to stay standing just for a few moments? Uh, welcome to this service. Uh, we are, I feel so honored to be here and uh, very humble. I, I never take it for granted to stand on a platform. I want you to know that I haven't come, f- I haven't come with my agenda. I've just come, I've come this morning for, for you with God's agenda. And uh, I, I just want to say something about your pastors. Can I say that? Uh, Pastor Jurgen, I met him just a year ago. And then this year in March, he came to our church to speak. And uh, this is a bit of a secret. But I want you to know our church were absolutely bowled over by him. And he was their favorite. Your pastor is our favorite. <laughs> we had a wonderful time. And uh, Pastor Leanne is going to be uh, with my wife and her conference uh, in June of next year. So uh, let's give it up for that. It's going to be great. Brilliant. We are just so blessed and happy to be with you this morning. I know God is going to do incredible things in your lives this morning. So let me just say, before we take our seats, a little bit about myself, about ourselves. You don't want to hear about me. But um, my wife is here, Jillian. We've been married for 33 years. And, uh, and then we have three children. Uh, we have... Uh, Esther, our oldest, and she's married to our worship pastor who's been preaching back at home this morning, Adam. We have two grandchildren, Noah, who's eight, and Hudson, who's five. And then we have Joshua, our middle son, who's a, a businessman back in England. And then uh, and he's getting married to an Australian girl in January, so we fly to Adelaide. I mean, uh, he, he chose somewhere pretty local. So, uh, yeah, that's because there were no pretty girls in our town. But... Uh, all right, you have a sense of humor too. Good, yeah, we like to have fun. And then uh, we have Willis traveling, and uh, I know he spoke at youth. Uh, Caleb, who's our uh, youngest, he's 20, and uh, is the only single available person in our family right now. And he's our youth pastor, he's uh, very tall, and uh, his mom is actively looking for someone for him. And, uh, as, but you have to get through her first which is really difficult, but uh, I have already noticed one or two very, very pretty girls around here. In fact, uh, they're all very pretty, and, uh, but you need to know that if you're going to uh, connect with Caleb, you will need to live in England, and, uh, and, and you won't see the sun for several months of their time. So uh, there we go. We've been pastoring our church now for 28 years. And uh, I just recently thought about this, that next year I will have been preaching about preaching Jesus for 40 years. And uh, so 
You know, when you've been doing something 40 years, if I was a plumber or an electrician, I, I should be brilliant. I, I don't know why I'm not, but I ought to be brilliant. I, I can't understand why our 20-year-old Caleb here is, is brilliant, and, uh, and he's only 20, but uh, there we go. So that's my honest and humble opinion about us. We are absolutely delighted to be here and uh, feel part of the family. It's like being at home already. So God bless you. Please take your seats. Uh, come on, everybody. Give somebody a high five as you do that. Wow, that sounded painful. Well, just a few weeks ago, we took our family or went with our family to Orlando, Florida for the second time. We went 12 years earlier when our kids were small. And now, of course, we have an excuse to go back. It was only for the grandchildren that we did it. And, of course, uh, they wanted to go on the rides, and uh, so we had to take them with us. And we were there just a, a few weeks ago at a wonderful time, and we stayed in a, a rented accommodation. And on the site where we were was a clubhouse. And at the clubhouse, there was like a cinema for the kids. And there was also a lazy river and a pool and a water slide. The water slide was uh, uh, enclosed uh, a tube coming down into this small pool. And so it was just on the second day that we arrived at, uh, in Orlando. And we, uh, I decided to go to the clubhouse with my two uh, grandchildren to have some fun up there. And um, it was just on the second day that we were there. I was aware at the bottom of the water tubular slide, there was a bit of a commotion going on. And there was uh, a lot of kids laughing and pointing into the end of the tube. There were some adults there as well, and they were laughing, and people were going, ah, look at that. And so as I went past the end of the tube, uh, to, uh, I too was looking and kind of trying to mind my own business, but I was aware there was a large man stuck in the end of the tube. He decided to kind of say to his kids, I think, let me show you how to have fun. But what he didn't realize, that he shouldn't have taken the inflatable huge tire from the lazy river down the tubular slide. So it was fine because there were gallons and gallons of water running down the slide. It was fine to start with, and he, he successfully made it to about two meters from the end of the slide. But then he got stuck. Gallons of water were pouring down, and his little feet were kind of paddling out the end, and the kids thought it was hilarious, and everybody else was going, idiot. <laughs> you shouldn't have done that. People were going, uh, and laughing about the whole thing. Well, I was on vacation, and I also wanted to point, laugh, and go, idiot, and walk past. But I have to say, I had an experience that I want to share with you right now, because as I was minding my own business, on vacation, right, you know, I, I'm not on life-saving duty. I walked past and I felt arrested inside of my heart and I just felt the Lord say to me, Mark, you need to go back, get in that slide and get this guy free. Now, I want you to know that as a good Christian, I went, why? I'm on vacation. I know you get people in San Diego C3. Of course, you would, have all, you would have all obeyed. But come on, everybody. Can we have some fun and be real here today? And, and, and so I made my way back, and I had to climb uh, backwards into, uh, ease myself up into the slide 
and uh, make my way about two meters into the slide where this guy was stuck with his rubber inflatable tire around him, his little feet paddling and some of the water coming out. I tugged and tugged and tugged at this tire and eventually managed to get it free. You can just imagine what happened next is Mark here, he got taken out by the guy, the tire and the water. But listen carefully, what I didn't bargain for is what I didn't know had happened is that there were 12 children stuck behind him in the slide. They couldn't see he was stuck at the end, so they just kept pouring down the slide, not realizing. Well, they didn't know. Nobody knew, and it didn't matter that I'd set him free. He didn't know. He just thought like the cork had come out the bottle. Until I walked, uh, until I kind of paddled around the other side, and then I heard this conversation from a little boy, and he was saying, Daddy, the water was right up to my neck. I thought I was going to drown. And I realized the impact of me doing something simple set not only the guy free, but set everybody behind him free too. And I want to start with this this morning to say this, that I'm here, I may be 5,000 miles or so from home right now, but I've come here by the aid of the Holy Spirit as I humble myself before you to say, I believe I'm supposed to be here today to set some people free. Some of you are stuck in life. But remember this, especially to the guys here today, that when you get free, you don't only get free yourself, but you take everybody else with you. That your kids get free, your wife gets free. Most of our wives are waiting for us to... Uh, Come on, get free. And some of you need to make that step today towards Jesus. You know, in, in our own home church, Champions Church UK, I, I'm sure it may be the same here this morning. We have wonderful people. I love them with all of my heart. And I miss them dearly when I'm away from them. That's what a pastor is like. We care about sheep, people. But I have to say that the people in our church and maybe here today, and I know that they are wonderfully saved people. They're like on the lazy river of life called salvation. They've got saved. And then there are people in churches, my church, your church. And they are satisfied. They've got their inflatable spiritual life belt on. And they're paddling through life down the lazy river. They're enjoying life. So they're saved and they're satisfied but friends, there are also many people who are stuck. And today I am here and in this message, I believe I'm going to pull you out and get you free so that you can be not only saved, not only satisfied, but you can get free from your stuckness today. Some of you are at a level in your life and you think that's all there is. I want to impart something today and encourage you with all of my heart to say, listen, friends, there's a, something beyond the level of your life right now. I wonder if there's anybody right now that feels stuck in your life and you want to move on. In Mark chapter 9, we won't read it, but for time's sake, let me relay this story. There's a, there's a man who comes to Jesus and said, Jesus, my son is demonized. How many of you know what that feels like as parents? <laughs> Be real and honest this morning. 
Some of you actually feel that you're married as ladies to the devil, maybe. And uh, some of you are nudging each other. All right, I have a sense of humor. Some of you don't. <laughs> All right, it's okay if we joke around for a little bit. All right, the moment you laugh, I'm going to ram the truth down. <laughs> And um, this guy comes to Jesus in Mark chapter 9, and he said, Jesus, I, my son is, is incredibly affected by the demonic and keeps throwing himself into the fire. So uh, I took him to your disciples, and they couldn't do anything for him. And then he said these words, but Jesus, if you can do anything for him. And Jesus responds like this, if you can, question mark. As if to say, you mean the things that I can't do? And you're asking, is this something I can do? There is no question, question mark today, friends, in your life about what God can and cannot do. He says to you, what do you mean, if I can? And then he says to the guy looking him straight into the eyes, he said, everything is possible for the one who believes. Now, I looked up the word everything in the Greek and Hebrew. And I found out it means everything. Everything is possible to him who believes. So friends, I want you to know I want to lift the level of your faith today. Everything is possible, it says, for him who believes. Then the man said to Jesus, I do believe. Help me overcome my own belief. Now I'm looking out here, some precious people, all of you. And I know right now that most of you, if not all, have belief. You do believe. I don't need to convince you to believe, but you're stuck at a level of your belief. And I say like Jesus said, to, or the guy said to Jesus, help me overcome my unbelief. Is it okay if I just give you four quick points and a poem. In the UK, we love poems. That's a joke too. All right, you'll get used to me in a moment. Four quick points to help you with your unbelief. You go, oh, I do believe you. I know you believe. But what if we took you to a whole nother level today of believing? whereby you walked out 10 feet tall, believing for that financial situation to change, believing that divorce that's on the cards for you as a, as a married couple, it's now going to somehow shift. There is going to be a shift here today. Help me overcome my unbelief. I'm going to turn to the scriptures this morning. We're going to look at John chapter 2. For those of you who are very young here, and it appears that everyone is younger than me here this morning, and uh, some of you are going to look on your iPhones. Uh, we're used to that. And uh, some of you have your scriptures on your iPads. And for those of you who are over 50s, you can actually use your, your uh, eyelids to look at the screen as well. Because uh, uh, I'm pretty stuck in that area. Help me overcome my stuckness in that. Some young guys get around me, please. So John chapter 2. Familiar story. This is the first miracle that Jesus ever did recorded in the scriptures. John chapter 2, verse 1, on the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee, and Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples also had been invited to the wedding. Notice, they had been invited. A little bit of advice, never turn up to a wedding that you're not invited. 
It's pretty embarrassing. I know you're hungry and you want a free meal, but don't do it. It's really embarrassing. And when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to them, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. <laughs> That's not a good way to address your mom. Any young people here don't take any notice of this Bible verse. You can call a mom, but never woman. You are going to get a left foot of fellowship. All right. Why do you involve me, Jesus replied, my hour is not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Great piece of advice. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding, this is incredible, from 80 to 120 liters. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want to be that guy. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water, drawn the what? The water, not drawn the wine. It was still water by then. They drew the water new. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, excuse me, excuse me, mate. Everybody brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. They have no clue what they're drinking. But you have saved the best till now. And I just want to pause there for a moment and say, right now you've come in at a level into this church today in your life. But I want you to know that the Jesus of the Bible is the one who saves the best till now. And you have got to look forward to today to knowing that the best is yet to come in your life. Some of you have written off the rest of your life. You're looking backwards and saying, oh, you know, you know, I think my life's over. No, Jesus says to you right now, the best is yet to come today. Right now, I speak and prophesy over your life. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs and miracles through which he revealed his glory. And his disciples believed in him. Notice he says his disciples believed in him. So you can be a believer and have problems believing. You see, believers are called believers because we're supposed to believe. Yeah, that's why we call believers. But somehow our believer button has got stuck. So we're believers that are stuck. So I want to take you up an octave, a few notes, if that's okay, in your Christian life and experience. And some of you need to find and come to Jesus for the first time today in this message. Today I want to bring to you a message, a very simple message called Miracle Magnets. Miracle Magnets. How to magnetize a miracle into your life. Now, I've never met anybody that doesn't want a miracle. Most of us here today need a miracle. You don't know what I need, and I don't know what you need, but all of us are in the same boat. Remember that fellowship is all about fellas arriving on different boats, and now we're all in the same ship. Uh, or fellas arriving in the, I got that backwards code completely wrong and messed the whole thing up. But that says to you, you are just human and a bit of a twit as well. But there we go. 
how to magnetize miracles to your life. I'm going to give you four things that will help you to magnetize. Well, let's put it another way. How does God look for people who are magnetizing his power? Are you ready for this? Anybody out there today? Well, the first is very, very simple. A miracle is magnetized, number one, because of need. Need. When God is up to something, you have to be down to nothing. You see, many people in our church back at home and here, they come into church and they go, ah, oh, you know, Mark, I, I, I don't feel like praising the Lord today. And maybe you're one of them. And they put their hands in the pockets during the worship. They put their hands in the pockets during the offering and never take them out. And, um, you know, they go through the whole service. Oh, I'm so needy. You know, I can't worship today. Brilliant. That's exactly who God wants to use today because God's power is magnetized to need. Think about this. Every healing starts with a sickness. Every miracle provision starts when you're down to nothing. Some of you are downcast today. Oh, my finances, they're so low, I've got nothing left. God said, brilliant. You are just the candidate for a miracle. Don't get too self-righteous on me now this morning when you go, oh, pastor, I have need of nothing. That's not a great position. You need this morning to come with the need and God feels, fills and meets needs. It starts with nothing. In Psalm 46, he said, God is a refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. God is attracted to trouble with a capital T. Some of you sitting here today are in capital T kind of trouble. You right now, you need the Lord to do something for you. And I'm here to tell you the way you magnetize a miracle is you simply come with a need. Number two, a miracle is magnetized by a little faith. Mountains move with a little faith. But I've often found in my life that I take that and we kind of turn it upside down. And so we think about Miracles like this, oh, I need a mountain of faith to move a tiny little problem. Jesus didn't say, I need you to have a mountain. And so what we do, we we shundai and we, 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 we speak over things and we get all excited. And, oh God, I need right now for a miracle. And so we spend hours in prayer and fasting, which is wonderful. And I don't decry that. But sometimes we think of ourselves as, oh, I need a mountain of faith for this tiny problem. You know, the great news is, no, you don't. Well, I, I bought a mustard seed of faith with me. Problem is I've lost it. It's so small, I found a couple of mints in my pocket, but I can't find the mustard seed of faith because it's so small. Now, Jesus didn't say an avocado seed. Neither did he say a peach seed. He didn't even say a pip from a grape. He said, all you need is a tiny little bit of seed. Start with the seed. You see, faith is like a muscle. The more you use it, the stronger it becomes. If you don't use it, you lose it. And so you need 
to have a little faith. Well, I was a Baptist boy through and through, wet all over. And I was really against, taught against the miraculous. I had never heard about the power of the Holy Spirit. I didn't know about praying for people. I'd never seen a miracle. I've been in church now for 56 years of my life. And I, you know, that wasn't part of my deal. We belong to a great Bible church, you know, that preached the Bible, apart from the bits that didn't suit them, and they got ripped out. So anything to do with the Holy Spirit, anything that used electricity on the stage was of the devil. No guitars, no drums, no nothing. We just had, you know, that's the way it was for me. That's how I was raised. And then I felt the call of God upon my life. I was a professional French chef for 10 years, and God called me from my dream, and and, and, and then I went to Bible school. At Bible school, I was put in a room for two years with a raving Irish Pentecostal. <laughs> now, let me describe the room. That was like having a Rottweiler with a Chihuahua in a room. The Pentecostal and the Baptist, we argued. He told me I needed to feel filled with, needed to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. I needed to speak in tongues. I needed, I needed, and I argued. I'm just a good Baptist. You need the Word of God. That's all you need. And so he convinced me. And one night I was filled with the Holy Spirit on the top bunk. Now I never told him because that would have made him too proud and big-headed. But I was filled with the Holy Spirit. And so after that experience, uh, I went back home for, a, uh, for the Easter vacation from Bible school, went back home, and I said to the Lord, okay, so how do you want to use me? He said, I want to use you in healing. And I went, okay, so I don't know what really that is or anything. I don't, never seen that happen. And I said, okay, if that's what you want, then you'll have to show me somebody who's sick. So he did. Now, I thought it would be somebody with an ingrowing toenail or... <laughs> a headache, a migraine, or something pretty simple. I didn't expect him to show me a 14-year-old guy that was dying. Now, this is my healing of the sick testimony as a Baptist boy now filled with the Holy Spirit to tell you just about how to move in miracles with a tiny little bit of faith. Well, this guy was 14. He was one of two young people in our little church of 15 people. And uh, it, it was amazing, not. And... Um, so this guy, I went home from Bible school, and I was told he's in bed. He's been to the hospital for several weeks. They don't know what's wrong with him. He can't eat. He can't even get out of bed. He can sit up for half an hour each day, and then he lies back down. He can't walk. He can't do anything. His waist, when I saw him, was like that. He was emaciating. He couldn't do anything. God said, he's the fella. Well, thank you very much. And... I battled for three days and three nights. And I said to the Lord, no, this is not right. This should, should be something simple, as if it was my power. You know, as if, well, you know, I, I can't do that. And God's just trying to say, it's not yours, you to it anyway. So, so on the third night, I come under such conviction. And God said to me, Mark, it's now or never. Are you going to obey? And I was so dismayed. I thought, Lord, I don't know what to say. I don't even know what to hold and um, what to hold when I get in the room or, or anything. I've never done this before. I'm just a Baptist that believes God, apart from that bit. And uh, so I went into the house, into the bedroom, and there were people gathered. His mates were around him laughing and joking, and he was there flat out dying. 
And I said, <clears throat> hello, I've come to pray. And, uh, and they kind of, I, I felt as if I was being jeered at. And I thought I've got to get out of here quick. And I prayed the most simple Jesus prayer that I could think of. And I placed my hands on him in Jesus' name and got it over really quickly. And then I didn't even say anything else. Good night, God bless or something. And then run out the room. On the way into the room was his mother. And I said, I've prayed for Mark. His name was Mark. In fact, every story I have today is Mark. It's very, very confusing. And um, <laughs> so you have to know which one I'm talk talking about. And uh, she said, oh, so many people have prayed for him. I said, now listen, he's going to be healed. Now, I don't know where that came from, apart from that's what faith feels like. I just had a tiny little bit of faith. Well, I left the house, I went to bed, and nothing happened until 6 o'clock the next morning. When he got out of bed for the first time, he was totally well. He got up, he cooked breakfast for the whole of the family. He had a good hearty breakfast, and he was totally, miraculously healed. Oh, come on, somebody. Is anybody out there believing for a miracle today? Now, the reason I'm telling you that story is because some of you go, oh, you know, when I've got a mountain. No, 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 you don't need a mountain of faith. I don't know even if I had much faith at all, but it was just a little faith. You see, you could have come from an upbringing that says, I don't know whether I believe in the miraculous. Well, you know, when you're in trouble and dying, you need to. So my second point is a little faith. The third one is this, invite Jesus to the party. Invite Jesus to the party. It says that Jesus was invited. Some of you are right now at a level and you're going, I don't know which way to turn. I don't know what to do. The doctors have given me no hope. My marriage is on the rocks. By the way, for those of you who are married ladies and you can't conceive, from this service, I prophesy, go home, write down the date. You will conceive from this day forward. The greatest miracles that's happening like that in our church, I don't know what it, well, I do know it's the Lord. But the greatest miracle that we keep seeing in our church is ladies conceiving who've been told you cannot. One baby, one young lady now in our church, how old is miracle? She's probably about uh, two years of age, um, Filipino. Her mother was told no chance, went on to IVF program, and they told her it won't work, and it didn't work. She got in the car, came home, cried out to God, got prayed for at church. She gave birth just nine months later and called the baby miracle. So that is one of the outstanding miracles in our church. So just by sitting here, to, well, there will be other things that need to happen. You with me? Not just by sitting here today. You know what I mean? I, I can advise you if you don't know any further than that, but that's going to be pretty embarrassing. All right. Uh, I'll leave that to Pastor Jürgen. He will, I no, no doubt, have the words to express to you about that. But time and time again, ladies just come into our church, and, and, it, and it happens. You know, the, the fun has to happen as well. But, but there we go, and I'm trying to get out of a big, deep hole that I'm in right now. And, it, and if I dared to look at my wife on the front row, she'd be giving me those dagger eyes. But uh, invite Jesus to the party. How on earth did you get onto that, Mark? Invite Jesus to the party. Some of you right now just need to say, Jesus, I'm inviting you. You didn't think he could help you, but he, he wants to help you. Well, we uh, 
started pastoring the little church. There's a picture of it here. It was built in 1810. Yeah, when I started pastoring the church, they hadn't had a pastor for 55 years. Some of the people from 1810, when I turned up, were still there. <laughs> they weren't alive, but they were still there. And even the ones that were alive, they were dead too. I had a quick look through the membership roll and found out that most of them had died about 100 years earlier. We have a little joke that it took the first 100 years of our church to get to 80 and the second 100 years to get it back down again to 15. So I became the pastor of this little chapel, the Baptist chapel in our town that's called Netherton, which means neither town. It's very popular. And um, it means neither town. We're neither here, we're neither there. And um, I heard, after three years of being the pastor, I heard what I believe was the audible voice of God. Now, it sounded like it to me inside of me, and it went like this, Mark, buy me that land. The Lord said, buy me that land. I said, well, I don't know how to do that. don't have any money, so how do you do that? And I'll need your help. And he helped. And six years later, we bought for cash that land through a series of miracles. Well, following that... Um, our new building started some years later and um, five months into the build of this three million pounds auditorium, that's all we got for three million, and um, five months in, we were quarter of a million dollars. Uh, we needed quarter of a million dollars in nine days. How many of you know that that's, that's quite a lot for nine days? That's a lot for God in nine days, isn't it? That's what I thought anyway. And the next morning, after I was told you need a quarter of a million from the contractor in nine days, I got up the next morning to pray, as I always did. And I sat in my chair. I didn't know what to pray. And some of you need a real honest prayer right now. And I prayed this prayer, God, I don't need a miracle tomorrow. I need one today. It became the title of my book that's just a few left available today. God, I don't need a miracle tomorrow. I need one today. And that honest prayer was my invitation for Jesus to Jesus to my not so party. Within seven days we paid the bill in full. The contractor wrote to me and said, Thanks very much, Mark, for the prompt payment. He didn't know what was going on beneath the surface. I just sent him an email back. Uh, no problem. <laughs> Friends, if you want to go from chapel mentality to this is the auditorium now that we built. And um, that's our church. That's where your pastor preached a few weeks, months ago. And some of you got stuck in the chapel and you need to move on to the auditorium. Is anybody there this morning receiving this word? And then the final point this morning, and then I'm going to pray for you. I, I feel I'm supposed to impart some faith to you today is give him something to work with. You see, Jesus didn't fill the water pots. Neither did he carry the first glass to the master of the banquet. They had to do that. You see, with Jesus, you have to get out of the boat. Now, appreciate getting out of the boat on stormy water means that you're going to risk drowning. But I found also that you risk walking on water. Some of you go... You're so scared of drowning that you don't walk on water. So I'm going to take you by the hand. It's the Holy Spirit's hand through me. And I'm going to ask you to get out of your seat in a moment. And I'm going to ask you, would you step out of the boat? 
you have to give him something to work with. When did the water become wine? When they took it as water and they went over to the man. I'm glad I wasn't him. And said, please, sir, would you taste this? Um, is it water or wine? And this guy said, that's incredible. You see, you have to give him something to work with. I was invited to speak on the south coast of England some years back. And the Holy Spirit said to me, as true as I'm standing here, whatever they give you as an offering, and I laugh because this is England, <laughs> it's not yours. You'd send it immediately to a couple that you know who are pastoring a church somewhere else. They haven't been paid for three months. It's their money, not yours. I said, Lord, that's no sweat because I'm going to the south coast of England and I know there are 35 people in the church and they're probably going to give me gas money to get home. And so to give that away, that's simple. Well, when I got there, there were 31 people and I took four people with me. So it was accurate. There were 35. Well, the pastor then proceeded to beat the people over the head with the Bible about giving to Pastor Mark, who's traveled all this way. Don't just give him a simple offering. You're going to give everything you've got tonight. And I'm going to, hey, hang on a bit. This has got to be given away. Calm it down, mate. Stop now. And he goes on. He preaches longer than I preached about giving. I mean, talk about a test. And so when I got up to speak, I actually gave a disclaimer. And I said, listen, folks, thank you so much for giving your life savings tonight and everything else. But I want you to know that I am not receiving that offering. The Holy Spirit's told me I have to send it. So if you want your money back, you just step forward. And literally, they all sat there. And uh, you thought I was going to say something else, didn't you? And they just, anyway, at the end of the service, got to move on. And uh, the pastor came to me. And gave me on the envelope, it told me how much was in the offering. It was the largest offering I had ever had in my entire ministry. I mean, this is England and it was $500. That was huge back then, some years ago. And I went, oh, blooming. We've got an unfinished bathroom at home. I've got a wife who's going to ask me, did they give you anything? And then I'm going to have to tell her when I get home in the middle of the night, yeah, but there's a problem. I gave it away. And she's going to go, again? When are we going to finish the bathroom? So I traveled all day and traveled back night, got home at midnight. On the way to the car from the church, the pastor ran up and said, oh, Pastor Mark, by the way, there's a guy in the service and he's told me to give you this. And he said, you can't give that away. It's for you. So I got two envelopes. I get dropped off at home after midnight, dark, walk in the kitchen, put the kettle on, and I'm going to be really, really honest. And I know I look really spiritual because I've been a pastor for all these years. But really, I'm not really spiritual. I'm just spiritually real, which is there's a difference. We need a few more of those. And I walked into the kitchen. I threw the envelopes on the counter. I said, well, Lord, you got me to give away the biggest offering I've ever had. And I suppose in the other envelope, you're not going to be able to beat that. I'm going to finish the bathroom and I, you know, we have conversations private, but we never tell anybody while well, I'm making myself vulnerable and telling you. So I had a cup of tea. Now in England, a cup of tea solves every problem there is. I had a cup of tea and 
I, I, I thought, shall I look inside the envelope that's for me? So I put the $500 to one side, converting it for your benefit, and thought that tomorrow is going to my pastor friends who don't have any money. And then I peeled back the other envelope, church of 31 people, and inside was $3,000. Well, what do you say to that? To God be the glory. <laughs> you see, you've got to give God something to work with. Would you like to stand with me right now? I'm going to make an invitation because I know this is going to be a powerful moment for you. Because some of you are safe, satisfied, stuck. Some of you are starting out in your Christian life. You, you need a fresh impartation of faith. So I'm going to give you one final story. That's okay. One minute, 46. And here we go. I've been preaching in Cape Town, South Africa now for several years. And uh, I've been visiting a couple of churches to preach. And, and so I became friends with a guy. And his name, have a guess, is Mark. <laughs> if you're named Mark here today, I don't want to be your friend because I need some new names in my life. <laughs> and I, I really, we, we got to know each other and this guy and his family has two beautiful sons, great church called the Rock Church, just outside Cape Town, doing a great job. And uh, so I'd been going there probably every February, got to know him. And uh, Christmas Day, three years ago, he became ill. So I went to the doctors, then went to the hospital. And so a couple of weeks later, he sends me a text. Mark, that's me, not him. You remember? All right. Um, would you pray for me tomorrow? I have to have an operation. Going to the hospital. I said, wow, what's up? He's, he's a really big, strong fellow. And I thought, what's wrong? He said, oh, it's pretty complicated, but I'll tell you soon. And, but just pray for me. So I didn't know what was wrong with him. But I didn't realize he was going to have anything from between an eight and a 13 year, 13 hour operation. I didn't know this. And basically 30 years ago, he had an accident. The steering wheel went into, into his stomach. He was a young pastor, had no money and uh, couldn't afford to go to the hospital. His diaphragm was ruptured. And for 30 years, his intestine, spleen and his stomach has grown, gone through the hole and grown around his heart. He had nothing here and everything was there. He didn't tell me that. So he goes in for the operation on Monday morning. I'm at the office. I come home from the office on Monday lunchtime, take the dogs for a walk. I'm on a grassy uh, field and um, there's nobody around. And I hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. And he said this, raise Mark from the dead. <sighs> Pardon? Raise Mark from the dead tears started to roll down my face and I look around make sure there's nobody in the field with me because this is going to sound ridiculous and by the way often the miraculous has a different sound to it because the miraculous often gets miraculous gets mixed up with the ridiculous and sometimes the miraculous is the ridiculous and so I, I went excuse me I have a big voice Mark come back and as I shouted I saw his face and his body being sucked from this planet into eternity and I shouted a second time Mark come back 
And that was it. I went back home. My wife had just arrived. She looked at my face and said, what on earth happened? I said, I told her the story. Well, next few days, we had text back to say the operation had been okay, a few complications, but that was it. Two weeks later, we were arriving, myself and my wife, on his doorstep to stay with him and his wife and family because I'm preaching in his church. He's just arrived back from the hospital. So I say to him, listen, we got our suitcases in our hand. We sit on his sofa in his lounge. I say, Mark, what happened? Tell me what happened on the day of the operation. He said, I died twice. And I said, what time did you die? And it kind of all added up. I live seven, six to 7,000 miles from his house. I don't know why God didn't ask you to do it. Maybe you were too busy. But God chose me that day to raise him from the dead. And he came back twice. They called his family, said he's not going to make it, but he did. Today, Mark Serpentine, Rock Church, South Africa. Look him, check him out. He's big and strong. He's doing a great work. He's back to normal health and strength. To God be the glory. Well, time has gone. So do we have time just for, yeah, we're okay. So as we start the worship, guys, we're just, I'm just going to ask you quickly and quietly to come and make your way to the front this, uh, this morning. And I'm just going to lay hands on as many people as I can. And for those of you who can't reach, because I know there's probably going to be somewhere I sense in my mind and in my heart about 40 to 50 people who need an impartation of faith for your miracle. There are conditions here right now. Those of you who have had a doctor's report, and I'm telling you now, today is your miracle. Start to come right now in the name of Jesus. Start right now. Start right now. There are going to be babies born after this. Financial miracles are coming your way. Right now, come on, let's applaud these people who need the Lord Jesus right now to touch their lives. Nothing is impossible for God right now. He's going to do some miracles in the name of Jesus. The Lord says to you today, have no fear about this situation, for God has got you covered. He has you covered right now. There are people over here. Don't resist. Just come right now in the name of Jesus. Come on, let's start to worship in this atmosphere of faith. Thank you so much for joining us online. We hope you had a powerful experience. We want to take this time to personally help you navigate the next steps in becoming connected. If you made a decision for Christ today, need prayer, or want more information about our church, go to our website, c3sandiego.com. And if you didn't get a chance to give online during service and would like to contribute financially, you can go to c3give.com and click on the giving option that works best for you. We look forward to hearing from you. See you at church.